This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. This, this message is going to be a unique one for me to even know how to process through. I... I'm just going to get into it. It's about fatherhood. I mean, I don't always cater to whatever the day of the year is. And some of you know that. It's like, he literally was Father Day. He didn't even mention it. I'm not ruled by a calendar. I, I want to always do what the Spirit of God is burdening me with. And today, that just happens to be fatherhood. So it works out really nice. It's actually one of my passion points. Uh, I, I'm a very big fan of this concept of fatherhood. And you'll understand why as we begin to unpack this. Because God chose fatherhood as a vehicle of revelation. Now, very specifically, you could say that about any aspect of his creation. In other words, you could say that about femininity, too, being a picture of the dependent one of the bride, the weaker vessel, which is actually used of God to showcase those that believe and those that lean on his strong right arm for salvation. And so in every facet, every role that there is in God's creation, there is a manifestation of who he is. And it's profound when you get to the idea of a father. It, of course, is a very, very significant and central theme, being one of the most used words in the entire Bible. In fact, if we're going to say proper name or name for God, father just rules the roost. Jesus exclusively uses that as his terminology when he's referring to God, father. And so as a result, we see a very exalted position for this title, for this idea And the entire goal of what Jesus seemed to come to do was to get us to this Father. And so our understanding, think about it, Jesus came to introduce us and to bring us to Father. And so to understand what that is and then to recognize that there is a delivery vehicle, a very specific delivery vehicle of this idea that God has chosen in this earth, it it amps it up. It puts a high value on it. Let's just put it that way. The lowercase f. A study in the profound role of an earthly father. Last week I talked about obedience, and in that message I talked about a capital O obedience and a small lowercase o obedience. Small lowercase o obedience in that message last week was the obedience that even a child can do, even outside of God and his influence and his divine empowerment. Any of us can actually obey. However, there is a commission in Scripture where God says you must live this way. And none of us, even in full maturity, have the power to be able to do that form of obedience. We're going to call that capital O. And so I've I've used capital and, and lowercase many times in various messages to make a point that God will use what looks like the same term for two things, but what he's referring to is a capital version of something and a lowercase version not to be uh, misconstrued or mixed up with one another. And the same is true with fatherhood. To call me a father is a very dangerous thing because uh, I'm not God. And Jesus didn't come to bring all of you to me. And yet I am a father. So is there a difference, a distinction between me and God? Oh, yeah. 
And that's important for us to understand because when you are commissioned as a father, when God says it's time, and when Leslie shows up in the mirror when I'm brushing my teeth, still remember it, and, she, and I'm like, hey, hey, what are you doing? And she was behind me, and, and she's looking all odd. And she goes, she holds up something. I'm pregnant. Oh, really? I, suddenly, it's like God says, it's your turn. He shoves me out onto the court. It's like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. And I don't know that there's a guy out there that ever found out that news that he was a father that actually felt like, it's about time. I think the first moment when you discover that is a moment of, of weakness and frailty. The lowercase f. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Powerful scripture. And one that, ironically, if you are an earthly father, doesn't make total sense. We can look at it poetically, maybe, and you know, it's like, oh, it sounds really good, but for most of us in our natural brain, when we think of children, we think of something that is added onto our life that makes life more challenging. And yet, listen to what it says. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Children, I don't know if any of you have a newborn right now, but when you have a newborn, they don't feel like an arrow in the hand of a warrior. You're not getting any sleep. You're not feeling very much like a warrior. Let's just put it that way. You're just like trying to survive and get a shower in. You don't feel strong with that little baby. And yet, what is taking place in you as a result of the attentiveness you have to give, the self-sacrifice that is forced upon a parent, and how everyone else is getting good sleep at night, and you literally every night have no idea if you'll get even a, a, a one wink in, that you have to literally grow up. And when a parent goes through this, even though what looks like an inconvenience, what looks like a, a difficult add-on to your life, what looks like something's going to prohibit you from being able to fully function and be strong, actually is your secret source of strength. Anyone out there that doesn't have kids has no idea how strong you can really be. When you have kids, it's like going to the gym every day. It's like some extra protein powder that gets stuck into your shake in the morning. There's something that is being injected into your soul that adds a greater strength. And God likens it to a quiver full of arrows. In other words, it's our weaponry. Look at the second line. Happy, it's actually the third line down, but the second sentence. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. And so there's been a whole bunch of stuff, especially in the homeschool movement of, you know, the quiver being full and, you know, you need to have more kids. Your quiver's not full because technically you're still in childbearing age. I mean, talk about the pressure that some women have, have been under. At the same time, have you ever studied what a full quiver is? Like what makes a full quiver? Is it two? Is it three? Is it four? Some of you are like, I think you already reached it somewhere there, Eric. I remember trying to figure that out. Okay, what is a, qu a full quiver? All right, just so I can be biblical here. And this is the answer I found. I, I did some study on it uh, whenever you can't fit in anymore. And I was like, well, you know, that fits. That's, uh, that sounds about right. If you can't fit anymore, it's full. And there are... <laughs> so I, I won't... I'm not teaching on that today. But happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. I want to introduce my arrows. I don't get a chance to do this very often, but there's some... If it's Father's Day, you know, I get some luxuries in being the pastor here. 
I want to introduce my arrows. You see, these are strength in the hands of a warrior. I have a tough job that I'm commissioned to do in this earth, and I, I'm not even going to try and downplay that. It's hard what I'm called to do. And yet, one of my secret sources of strength is what I'm about to introduce to you. What many times the devil will whisper and say, boy, just imagine how much faster you could run if you didn't have six little kids. No, that's the wrong angle of it. Just think how fast I'm able to run now because I have six kids. I'd hate to think about how slow I would be if I didn't have them. In other words, it's the exact opposite paradigm that God wants to instill. There's Hudson Jack. Hudson Jack, when I pull him out of my quiver, he's epic inspiration. This little boy doesn't seem to know a small idea. He only has big ideas. When he was like four or five, he was ready to build roller coasters in the backyard. It's like, Hudson, what would you like to do today? I'd like to build an animatronic. Uh, I don't know exactly how to do that. Could we build a website for me? He's five. Uh, could we maybe build a computer? Uh, Daddy's not that good at stuff like that. He's epic inspiration. What's interesting is most people that know me know that I'm always thinking big. I, I don't know how to think small. I cannot keep up with Hudson. So he's my epic inspiration. If I ever start to dull in this area of my life, I have Hudson. Harper Grace, my sweet consolation. Such a tender heart, such sweetness. When I think of Harper, that's what I think of. is sweetness, softness. On the way down, we were talk Hudson was talking about how we needed a, one of those uh, hidden electric fences for our dogs because we don't have a fence in our yard. And so Gracie would have to wear a little collar and get zapped. And Harper's like, I don't want Gracie, my dog, getting zapped. And then Hudson's like, well, would you rather have him get run over by a car? And Harper's like, uh, no, but I don't want Gracie getting zapped. And that's the way Harper is. Harper is a woman of great compassion. She cares deeply about the little things and the little people. Kipling Dubber, Joel Anthony, my uproarious laughter. Kipling brings laughter wherever he is. He doesn't know how to go down in the dumps. He gets, he gets back up, he gets knocked down, and he'll get back up immediately. He just loves life, and he loves to live it with laughter and a smile on his face. Avonlea Rose, my passion for truth, always asking questions, very convicting to hang out in a household with Abby Rose. Uh, so she's the one that invented the term sugar daddy, by the way. Daddy, are you eating sugar? Mommy doesn't allow me to eat sugar. Why are you eating sugar? Well, you're just when you're daddy, you can handle a little sugar. Well, I'm concerned about you, daddy. She draws pictures of me all big and round. Uh, and she's like, daddy, this is what you're going to become if you keep eating sugar. Lily Micheleen, my song in the night. My new nickname for her is Songbird. She writes songs and sings them. Before bed, she wants to always sing her latest song. And sometimes, like, you're going to need to sing it in the morning. So in the morning, she can't wait to sing me her little song. But she is a song in the night. You know those hard days when uh, singing doesn't seem like the most obvious thing to do? Those are the days when Lily will whip out a new song of praise and worship to the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Reese William, my inexplicable contentment. This little boy just has such a calm to his soul. He just is able to be. My mom used to say, Eric, you're supposed to be a human being, not a human doing. Yeah, that was my mom's famous quote. And I'm a human doing. Uh, Reese is a human being. He just can enjoy flowers and bugs and stare at them. And there's nothing quite like being able to whip out that arrow out of my quiver and recognize Reese has chosen the better part. 
I want to learn to be like Reese. The lowercase f. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. What are you going to do with that? That's that's inspired scripture right there. So now suddenly we can't call anyone father. Now the best way of understanding this is capitalize that first father, and it will start to make sense almost immediately. Call no man your father upon the earth, for only one is your father, capital F, which is in heaven. Because all throughout the rest of Scripture, I mean, even Paul, the Scripture that was read in uh, the earlier part in the announcements, was talking about how Paul was a father to the church. So it obviously doesn't make sense to say, oh, we are not allowed to use the term father. We are a placeholder father, but we're not a capital F father. We're a small f, a lowercase f. There is only one capital F father. You know, and you can do this in all areas. You see, the word pastor comes from this idea of a shepherd. And a shepherd is Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd. Well, who am I to call myself a pastor? Who am I to call myself a shepherd? Put a small p on me. He's big P. He's the big shepherd. There was only one capital B bridegroom. Well, I'm married. I said I do. What's less they're supposed to look at me? Oh, you're not my bridegroom. I only have one bridegroom, capital B. Which is true, but I'm a small B bridegroom. And that's part of what I want to introduce you to is how we relate in this world to showcase the magnificence of the capital. What is our role in this? There is only one capital H husband, Jesus Christ. The difference between lowercase f and capital F, fatherhood. Uh, So I've had this happen many times where there's some kind of photo shoot or some kind of video thing or some kind of conference that has to look all good. And, it's, and so things are all set up. And uh, Leslie is going to be the main speaker. And everyone's coming to hear Leslie. But who gets involved in doing something? You know, where I'm cleaning toilets or doing something. In this case, I have to come up and hold something that, you know, helps them figure out the cameras. And I'm holding some white thing in front of my head. And, you know, I stand there. We'll see if the lighting's working. Say something, Eric. Uh, test, test. One, two, three, Test. Right, And then Leslie arrives. And it's like, when Leslie arrives, Eric just needs to step down off the stage. It doesn't make any sense for me to stand there and go, hey, guys, uh, remember me? I'm the one that held that white thing up, and I said, test, test, one, two, three. And it really helped set the stage, didn't it? Well, yeah, it did, but could you get off the stage now, Eric? You see, the, when the capital comes, the small needs to step down. Now, I'm not trying to put Leslie in the... Uh, the position of a capital in that. However, between the two of us, she is the capital, if you want to say it, as far as beauty goes, and as far as uh, in a girls' conference, what someone wants to hear. And so that's the context. But there's something to that that's very important for us to recognize, because we are being called up to set a stage, to prepare something for the arrival of the capital, the one that everyone wants to see. The proposal. So, oh, long time ago, uh, I've been married 22 and a half years, and uh, yeah, uh, t- 23 years ago, April 25th, there it is, I figured it out, 23 years ago, April 25th, I showed up at Leslie's parents' house with a dozen roses and a little white box, it was all a surprise, an elaborate surprise, you have to hear the story in its full detail because it's pretty amazing. And uh, Leslie, up to that point, had said that she'd never been surprised in her life. 
And uh, I had, her parents had set up an elaborate scheme where they said, could you get dressed up for Monday night? I mean, an odd night, Monday. Get dressed up for Monday night. We want to have family dinner, take family pictures, and then we want to give you a gift that we've been waiting many years to give you. So 7.28 p.m., I show up at the front door, don't ring it, don't knock, and I wait. And inside, they say, Leslie, close your eyes. We're going to go out and get your gift. And they lit candles. They had background music. I, I prepared the background music, by the way. It was like they just had to push play. And then the family walked out. All that Leslie heard was uh, the front door open and the front door closed. When the front door opened, I stepped in. The hallway was uh, dark, and I could see the flicker of candlelight, and on came a song. And it was like a very special song between us. And for those that had heard the most embarrassing moment night, it was How Beautiful. <laughs> and when How Beautiful would play, I'd always cry, and so that's what I was doing. I took off my shoes so I wouldn't squeak down the hall because it was raining outside. And so I was in my socks, and I'm walking, crying, and I'm thinking, this is actually me. Eric Ludy, you know the one that always dreamed of getting married someday but always felt like Jesus was going to return before I did? You ever have that? It's like, and he's coming soon. Well, could he just hold off until I get married? I mean, come on, what's the deal? He's like, no offense, Jesus, I really want you to come, but oh, come on. And walking down the hall, and I see Leslie, and she's crying. She couldn't believe her parents had picked that song. And uh, when the song concluded, I said one word, Leslie. She opened her eyes, and she was surprised for the first time in her life. I had a bowl of water and a towel that I'd had her mom set aside, and I came down, knelt down at her feet, removed her shoes, and washed her feet. And I had a poem that I read to her. And in this, what I said to her was basically this, in a little different terminology, with a little more poetry. Leslie, will you allow me to be a placeholder, a lowercase be bridegroom until your true bridegroom returns. And for us, from the very beginning of our relationship, I have known this principle. I am a placeholder. I am what the scriptures call a friend of the bridegroom. I am actually not the true bridegroom. I am one that creates a shadow in this earth for both of us to understand, for our kids to understand, for all the onlooking world to behold the mystery of the heavenly realms. And that mystery is unfurled and unfolded in and through these small pictures that are animated through our obedience. When we walk in agreement with God, the world says, what is that? And what they're seeing is the truth of another realm in and through a carrying vehicle that is not a capital, but is actually a lower case. And that is God's choice of how to do it. So we're going to call it the placeholder. Introducing the first, the one that readies the children for the second. So in a child's life, in a very simple sense, I am a first father for my children. I am not the ultimate capital F father for my children, which is a strange thought because to say that I'm not their father would be a miscarriage of truth. I am their father. And in every sense, God would refer to me as such. But I'm not the capital F. And as a first father, my primary occupation is to prepare them, is to tutor them, is to lead them unto a handoff, unto a day when the capital arrives. And I must get out of the way and say, you belong to him. As a parent, there is something that is hard in this. 
It's good and it's sweet and it's hard because there's a natural propensity for us to cling to that which we love. And yet part of what it means to be a lower case is we have to relinquish that which we would naturally cling to. And we have to say it belongs to you. And that consecration, that letting go, that surrender is part of how we reveal the kingdom of heaven. For the father himself let go of his son and gave him. And that is the pattern of the kingdom. And he says, will you follow in that, in that expression of love? So I'm going to put some words. You see, italicized words added. Okay, so I added that just in case. I'm not trying to meddle with scripture. I'm trying to help you understand something. Wherefore the law, which I'm going to refer to as the first, was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, unto the second. You see, all throughout the pattern of scripture is a first and a second. And those of you that have been discipled here have heard this many, 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 many times. There's always a first and there's always a second. And what's interesting, now sometimes in the main course of Scripture, you see that the first represents that which can't please God. It can't satisfy God. It's the life of the flesh. It's the firstborn of the old man. And then the second life is the one that pleases God. But there's also a pattern. For instance, John the Baptist is a first. And yet Jesus compliments John the Baptist. He's, I mean, rave reviews from the God of heaven actually saying, there is not quite a man like this anywhere. And yet he could not save the people, the Jewish people. He could not save them. He was not the answer for them. He was merely a friend of the bridegroom so that when the second came, he stepped out of the way. The law is not evil. It was given to prepare us to say, you have a problem, don't you? How are you doing keeping this law? I'm, I'm really struggling, God. You see, this is perfect righteousness, and it is given as a tutor, as a schoolmaster, to bring us unto the second. This is the role of earthly parents. Earthly parents are a schoolmaster. They're one that prepares their children for the arrival of the Messiah in their life. The lowercase f father is a first. So, I'm a first in my children's lives. If I am an improper first, or I create problems in my first role. It actually hinders my children, because I'm not teaching them properly. I'm not a good schoolmaster, so as a result, I'm not leading them to the right end. I lead them unto an end that says, I want to have nothing to do with the Father. And that actually isn't quite what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be preparing them for one that is greater than me. I can't tell you how many times I've told my kids... Daddy is imperfect, usually when I'm apologizing for something. Guys, I raised my voice. Here's what I want you to know. That was wrong. It's not the way your heavenly father is. I praise God that he's not like me, but he's conforming me to be like him. And so he would have handled it differently. And that's what an apology, that's what seeking forgiveness is. It's saying this, what you guys see, is merely a placeholder for the one who's coming. And you can know him now. You really can. And you can see his perfection now. However, I am given by God to you to help you understand him. The amazing pattern for the first. So listen to this. In the book of John, we see John articulating something. We could even call it a pattern for the first. It's a pattern, strangely, for parents. Very specifically today, for fathers. You yourselves bear me witness that I said... I am not the Christ. Hey guys, kids, I want you to know, I am not your savior. 
I am not the Messiah. I am not the one anointed by God to take away the sins of the world. I cannot carry that weight. You've heard yourself that I said I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. I came from this earth. I'm earthly. But he who comes from heaven is above all. He's above me. He's above me in my marriage. Truly the mystery of marriage is to show Christ in the church. That's what the mystery of marriage is to show. It's not to show how good of a husband Eric is. It's to show Jesus. The mystery of family is not merely to show, oh, well, that's a good working family. Boy, we could you know, maybe make a video set after that. Actually, it's to show the heavenly realms and to show the relationship of the capital F Father with his children. How about the church? The same is true. There are pastors here that are put in charge. There are eldership, there's an eldership and there's deacons. However, we're small. There's one that is above all that if we do not submit to him and we don't allow him to build this house, then we labor in vain. It's all about something greater than us. Simple rule of thumb in Scripture. The first cannot save the children. I, it's, this is one of the hardest things you deal with as a parent. I can't save my kids. I mean, I can rescue them from a burning building and maybe even have my face on the front of a newspaper because of it. But I can't save them at the deeper level. I can't save their soul. And I tell you what, that's a very helpless feeling. When you realize that, though, it's actually the secret to success in your in your fatherhood or your motherhood is to recognize, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm trying to be their savior instead of turning to their true savior and saying, come Lord Jesus in their life. Without you, they have nothing. So my number one operation is to point them to him, point him to them. Hey, let's get this connection going here because that's all that matters to me. So the first cannot save, but listen to this, he still has a job to do. I may not be able to save my children, but did you know that I have a role? I have something that I'm supposed to be doing. So what must he do? He must lay a clear picture of the law, the standard. You know what we as dads get to do a lot of times? We get to lay down the law. All right, kiddos, this is called the looty home. And in the looty home, you won't do that. Oh, man, you won't do that. You won't do that. And then the kids, what do they do? They do that. And then daddy is responsible to make sure that that standard is upheld. And what do the kids learn when daddy upholds his standards that are given to me by God Almighty is they recognize that they're sinners. You see, the law or the first is a schoolmaster. I can't save them, but I can lead their soul to the one who can. Do you recognize that even though I tell you you always need to tell the truth, that you keep telling lies? Have you ever noticed that even though I say you're not allowed to steal in this home, that that's property that belongs to someone else, you keep stealing? You see, daddy is responsible to keep the law in my home so that they can recognize, not that they're saved by it, but that they need a savior. Because every single one of us are violators. And little kids show that. We try and cover it up better as we get older. If we haven't run into Jesus, then we haven't been transformed. And so we're still lawbreakers. 
But God wants to rescue us from our first life. And so, earthly father must also supply the vision of what God will, in fact, do. You give your life, you repent, and you yield to Jesus Christ. You believe in him, and he will change you. Not only will he save you with his own work on the cross and clothe you in his righteousness, but he will give you the Holy Spirit and enable you to live in this body in a manner that will please him. He must be a schoolmaster that brings the children unto Jesus Christ. So the role of the lowercase f father, to father these children until the capital F arrives. To, to father, I'm actually making that a verb now. To father. So my job is to father my children until there is a clear handoff at the Jordan River. You remember John the Baptist? He's baptized in the Jordan and then Jesus comes. And there's a key moment where there's a handoff where John, Jesus still submits to John's ministry in a strange way. I mean, it's really an amazing thought. But what does John say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's come. Guys, this is him. Now it's my time to decrease and get out of the way. And so he must hand off the bride. He was entrusted with the Jewish people for a season to prepare them, to call them to repentance. He says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Messiah is coming. There he is. There he is. And when he comes, we, as the first, step back and allow the second, the only one who truly can save, to take the helm. So what does it mean to father? The verb, the action. Simply put, to supply authoritative order, protection, provision, discipline, and direction to the lives of children. Now, that's like an academic answer. I mean, there's really nothing inspiring about that answer. It's true. But, I mean, come on. Let's get a little poetry and vision behind it. It is far more than that. Lowercase f fatherhood was built to reveal something much bigger. You see, I have a job to do as a father. And I have been entrusted with these arrows, with these little lives. Now, I'm not just a father in my own family. I have spiritual fatherhood too. And the same is true. There's a principle that transcends. I am responsible to be a good father. But in and of myself, in and of my small lowercase f fatherhood, I'm not very good at this thing. Which is where the secret of fatherhood comes in. God, I'm lowercase here. I'm having some problems. What do I need? I need the capital F father to actually engage my life, to actually fill my life, to enable my life. So what is lowercase f fatherhood supposed to be doing? It's meant to showcase the revelation of the kingdom of God and his magnificent glory. Oh, talk about a little pressure there. I'm supposed to demonstrate the manifold wisdom of God unto the heavenly realms. Yep, yep, that's my job. I'm meant to showcase the image of the Son of God. When you look at me, you're supposed to see him. Ah, when my kids look at me, they go, Jesus? No, 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 I'm lowercase f. In other words, they're supposed to see the behavior of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Wow. It's meant to hold a place. So to father, to truly do this, I'm meant to hold a place to supply a window into something much greater. So I'm like a window. I'm not perfectly clean. But in and through this life, what do they see? Father? Father? Capital F, Father? They're supposed to see through this, though it's somewhat dim at times. They're supposed to see a vision of the capital F, Father. 
It's meant to showcase, though imperfectly, the perfect fatherhood of heaven. It's meant to labor towards the handoff under the capital F when he arrives. And it's meant to decrease in font size when the capital F arrives. The blueprint for the lowercase f, the sacred labor of the first. So the law of God is given to the Jewish people. You know that, in a sense, that's their teacher. That's their schoolmaster. You know that that was called the day of Pentecost? See, we, we understand the day of Pentecost being Acts chapter 2, but Pentecost has been a celebration or a feast throughout the you know, Jewish history, and it's a celebration of the giving of the law. And so the celebration of the giving of the law, it's also the wheat harvest. But that's a strange thing. That's a teacher. You know what the Holy Spirit is called? A teacher. In other words, we've been given a teacher, and our first teacher is not able to save us, but he is able to show us that we need a Savior. The second teacher enables us to live it. And so the second is the one that does the saving work. It enables, it has power to give. The first one, I don't have power to save the soul of my children, but I can lead them to the one who can save them. So let's look at the blueprint. So this is a letter that is written to uh, basically all the firsts of us, all of us that are placeholders. Dear lowercase father, Build a house according to the pattern shown. So what are we given? Scripture. What was Moses given? He was given the pattern. When he was up on uh, Mount Sinai in the mountain range of Horeb, what did he get? He received a pattern. And so God kept saying, build it according to the pattern as I showed you. Remember that pattern? Uh-huh. And so what does God say to me as a father? Build your home according to the pattern which I've shown you. And I could say, what pattern? I wasn't in Sinai. No, no. You see that scripture? Uh-huh. There's your pattern. That's a house. You know what that house is? It's a text, yes. But that text is Jesus Christ. It's a person. Build it according to the person of Jesus Christ. Build this home the way I have commissioned you to. Then what else does he say? Now I want you to establish a government upon the pattern shown. So in other words, don't just build the house, but inside of that house, set up government according to the way that I have taught you to set up government. How did he teach us? You know that it's God's idea to have a uh, man and a wife together to form a family, which is called a, a marriage, and then to actually establish roles in that and actually create a government structure? Hey, I didn't come up with it. I may be politically incorrect today to say it, but it's a good idea. And it works when it's done according to the pattern. And so we're supposed to establish a government upon the pattern shown as well. Do you remember that pattern, Eric? Uh-huh. Remember the word of Scripture? Uh-huh. Build your home that way. See, I'm commissioned as a, as a lowercase f father. I have a job to do. I'm supposed to be a benevolent king. Do you know that in the land of Israel, there were two key ruling authorities, just like in a family. You have a king and a priest. Jesus just happens to be the fulfillment of both. But in our homes, you know, I'm like the king. And guess who is like the priest? Leslie. You know the priests were the keepers of the home? That's actually what they're called. The keepers of the home. So when you see that terminology throughout Scripture, you're going to actually recognize it's talking about a priesthood. We are the bride of Christ. We are the priesthood of the believers. We keep the home. Look at this human body. This is a home. I'm supposed to keep it for Jesus Christ. So live in an understanding way with a God-fearing priesthood. When a, when a king and a priest work well together in a home, what you have is a healthy government. Labor to make sure each tribe under your rule is both fit for battle and understands ranks and battle formation. So if we're building a nation, what are we going to do? We have 12 tribes, all right? 
So each of those tribes needs to be ready. They need to be fit. So in all these, when you go through David and his, 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 uh, his kingdom, what you see is that each of the tribes are being trained and groomed for battle. So let's make sure each tribe under your rule is both fit for battle. That means they have the artillery, they're ready with equipment, and that they understand ranks and battle formation. Rank and battle formation is extremely important in any kingdom. If you want to build a healthy house, well, you better have ranks and battle formation. In other words, you need to know how to submit. Do you know who your commander is? Do you know when they say for you to do something, what you're going to do? I'm going to do it. That's right. You see, we know how to fall into rank. We know where our place is in the home so that we don't undermine it in and through rebellion. But we actually learn to submit. Labor to make sure that each tribe under your rule is actively cultivating and developing its unique real estate and learning work and trade. So each of the tribes was given land. And they were meant to cultivate that land. There are very specific prescriptions given in the book of Deuteronomy to show them how to cultivate the land, how to go about doing what they are called to do. The first is giving them instruction, the vision, the pattern for the land of promise. This is how you are supposed to live. And so each of our tribes, or our kids, if you're looking at a home, is meant to be cultivating their portion. Everyone carries their own weight. In other words, it's not supposed to be mommy and daddy that do all the work. Could you imagine the king goes out and hoes the countryside? In other words, we're meant to actually share that load and, and rule a kingdom well by training up the individual tribes. And I'm putting quotes around that just in case someone's just hearing a podcast. <laughs> tribes, kids, to actually carry their weight and to learn their trade, to learn how to build this kingdom strong. Labor to make sure that each tribe is readied with daily oil in their lamps so that when the bridegroom comes into their life, they will be ready to welcome him. You have oil in your lamp today? Do you have oil in your lamp today? You see, that light always needs to be burning in their soul. And there's a readiness in the land of Israel for the coming Messiah. He can come any day. Are you ready? Are you ready? The pattern that we've built this home around also stipulates that I am merely a placeholder. There is one that is going to come and rule in this home that is greater than me. Let's be ready. He says to keep our lamps trimmed and, wit- and, and it lit so that there's always oil in that lamp and so that we have a readiness to engage our king when he comes. And when the true house comes, you, the first house, will be seen as merely a shadow. In other words, it's a hard one for us to swallow. I'm gonna be merely a shadow. Oh, he was a placeholder. Hey, daddy, good job. You, you were a placeholder. And then they fall in love with Jesus. Hey, what about me? What am I, chopped liver? Sort of. In other words, you have value, but you're not him. He is what it's all about. When the true king arrives, you, the first king, will be realized as merely a tutor. When the true Lord of hosts steps onto the scene, you, the previous military general, will step aside, listen to this, and fall into rank. The true general is here, guys. I'm not in charge. He's, He's here, therefore I'm falling into rank. When the true Christ arrives, then all the real estate in all your land will be offered up. All its talents, all its abilities, all will be laid at his feet for him to use as he deems fit. You know what happened when the Messiah came in the land of Israel? You know all that money that was being laid at the apostles' feet? You know where a lot of that was coming from? The sale of land. This promised land that they had inherited throughout all these generations. Literally, the land of the territory of God, they literally sold it and laid the money at the apostles' feet. This is the higher work. It's more than just mere real estate. It's him. It's the work of the true king, the true father that matters. 
So this is a letter written to us. Affectionately, it says the Holy Spirit or the builder of the best lowercase fathers. See, this is our new pattern. We are actually still given a first pattern to build our children into those that have lamps burning with a readiness for their bridegroom. They are staring out the windows daily in their soul, fogging it up, longing for the increase of God in their life. The two modern extremes. So when we talk about fatherhood, there's two odd movements that are taking place simultaneously in Christianity. I'm going to call one the Big Daddy Brigade and the other one Make Him Earthly Movement. And so in this, some of you may recognize, I'm going to be very delicate with this and very gracious with this because a lot of the people involved in these things love Jesus well. And so I'm purposely saying it the way I'm doing it because I want to emphasize something. Whenever you decrease the capital F father, uh, it's a big deal. In other words, it's just like decreasing uh, the word of God in text. If you do, you decrease the word of God in person who's revealed in that text. And if you, reveal the, if you decrease the word of God in person who's revealed in that text, you're decreasing what he did on the cross for you. And you just can't do that. If you lose the work of Jesus, who is the work of God, on that cross for you, and you no longer call it a God work, you have no salvation. You see, man can't save us. If he was just a good man, he can't save us. He was God in the flesh. That's not a small thing. And so the same thing is true with capital F fatherhood. There's two different movements. The, the Big Daddy Brigade, as I will explain here, is basically saying... Children obey your, your fathers, okay? They're, they're emphasizing this. And to the point where children never seem to really ever grow up out of that, okay? There's no handoff from father, lowercase father to capital F father. Uh, what happened here? There's no handoff. It's like, no, you're always submitted. And what it is, I'll just read it. If a father doesn't labor toward the eventual passing off under the capital F, then he assumes that capital position whether wittingly or unwittingly. That's why I call it the Big Daddy Brigade. So suddenly, instead of being lowercase f, I become Big Daddy. I'm like God in your life. No, no, I am a first, and I can't save. I must be in a humble position to recognize my authority and the important position I have, but I'm in a position to lead you to something greater. And if I don't lead you to something greater, what am I doing? I'm making myself a capital. Danger number two, to make him earthly movement. So there's a whole idea that is, says, so God calls himself a father, right? Well, that means he wants to train you for independence. He doesn't want you dependent upon him, leaning on him all day long, saying, oh God, I need you to care for me. I need you to provide for me. I need you to make decisions for me. I mean, if my kid, this is how it's said, if my kids grew up and you know, at the age of 28, they're like, hey, daddy, live my life for me, I would say, grow up. See, what they've done with that as an illustration is they've taken a lowercase f father and connected it with our capital F and said, oh, see, he's just like that. He's a father that doesn't want us dependent upon him. He doesn't want us like calling out to him for provision and all these things. He's like, grow up. See, what has happened in so doing is they've diminished the capital F father and brought him down. And what that does is that makes all of us capital. Now we make the decisions God would make. Now we have to live the life that only God can live in and through us. You see, there's a big difference between capital F father and me. I can't actually save my kids. I don't, my, it's not healthy for my kids to be dependent upon me when they're 28. If I'm a good father, I'm going to train them to be turned unto one that can help them. But think about Jesus when he was 33. He only did what the father asked him to do. 
He was wholly and completely dependent. Why? Because his father was capital F, Father. We are transitioned from an earthly fatherhood unto a capital F, and that capital F Father is intending to give us his very life and breath daily, to sustain us, to lift us up, and to enable us to live in this body a life that on our own we never could live. If a believer doesn't allow the capital F Father to assume a role greater than that of their earthly lowercase father, then they assume a capital F position in their life, whether wittingly or unwittingly. So let's talk about the kingdom father. Yay! The man laboring to diligently prepare his children for the loving daily care and total life governance of the capital F father. Every day, what are we laboring for as kingdom fathers? Lowercase, kingdom fathers. What are we laboring for? That our children would be prepared to fully entrust themselves to one greater than us. That they would recognize that his governance over their life and his care over their life is what Jesus Christ came to make a way for them to discover. It is literally the most significant thing they will ever find. And then to become carriers of that very message to the world around them. So he awaits the arrival. This is the kingdom father. He awaits the arrival of Jesus Christ at the Jordan River in the life of his children. He's coming, guys. He's coming. He always comes to the Jordan. The Jordan is the handoff spot. And then he announces to them, Behold, O children, this is the capital version of which I have merely been a lowercase placeholder. He it is you must learn to follow. He it is you must, he it is that must rule your life. I am here to make sure that you rest securely in his care and rule. And then I must decrease in order that he will increase in your life. So the Jordan River, the painful place where the handoff is made. My kids are still young. Less than I've been married a lot longer than our kids' age would suggest. In other words, my, Hudson's 12 and a half, and we've been married 22 and a half years. It's 10 years uh, of not having kids. That's a different story. I was sort of scared of kids. And uh, it wasn't filling my quiver very fast. So I'd, you know, God would stick me in situations, and I, I'm sort of missing something. Yeah, I was missing the strength, those arrows that I was supposed to have. And... This is something I haven't yet experienced in the fullest measure. I'm experiencing it, don't get me wrong. Every step forward of my kids, there's an ache, and I recognize, whoa, they're growing up. Whoa, uh, this is like happening to me now. Uh, like, my kids are actually going to be going into this world. They're going to be making decisions outside of my authority. Oh, are they ready? Okay, this is classic. For any of us as parents, we go through this. However, some of you are feeling it more sharply than even I am right now. It's the Jordan River. It's the place of handoff. Yardane. So that's Jordan. Okay, it's actually the Hebrew word is Yardane. Listen to what it means. The coming down, the humble descent. Isn't that a fascinating thought? You can think of it just coming down a hill. However, the Jordan River is not an accidental location geographically. It's very, very purposefully put in Scripture. And there's, Moses, what does he do? It brings the people up to the Jordan River. It's time. Deuteronomy, you know, the big, huge last speech is given. But the first cannot take them in. Remember, he wanted to go into the land of promise, but he couldn't. He couldn't cross that Jordan River. It wasn't his role. The first cannot take him in. So who took him in? The second. You know what his name was? Uh, his name is Joshua, which is in the Hebrew, the same as Jesus' name in the Greek, Yeshua. It's only Jesus that can take the people into the land of Israel, or into the land of Canaan. Isn't that an amazing thought? And so the same is true for us. 
There's a coming down where Jesus meets our children, where he shows up at the Jordan River, and we, in a sense, have to pass off and say, Joshua, you take it from here. You take it from here. Ah, I'm feeling it. And suddenly a voice came from heaven. This is in the Jordan River, saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Isn't that interesting that the declaration of sonship over Jesus' life happens in that very transition point, in that Jordan, in that Yardain. So at the Jordan, it's the place where the first must yield to the second. It's time for the second to step forward. So Moses hands the children off to Joshua. I mean, one of the most classic pictures of the law unto Jesus. I mean, right there. It's just amazing. Elijah hands off the mantle to Elisha. Do you remember where that happened? The Jordan. You know, the first thing that Elisha does is he catches the mantle from Elijah, strikes the waters of the Jordan, and he walks from the wilderness into the promised land. That's just profound. How about John the Baptist hands off the bride to the bridegroom? Where does that happen? The Jordan. Uh, it's a place that is a little uncomfortable. It's a place where the first has to relinquish, hold. And we are prepared for this. Every single one of us. John the Baptist was groomed for this. John the Baptist's authority, remember his head, was lopped off. And that's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So the authority transfers to a new head. I know that's a pretty gruesome (laughs) illustration, but that's actually the picture in Scripture. The authority of John is removed, and Jesus steps forward. When he heard that John was imprisoned, boom, his ministry starts. That's literally what it says in Scripture, that John's ministry, I'm sorry, Jesus, did I say Jesus? Jesus' ministry starts then. And at the arrival of the governments of Jesus in our kids' lives, we as earthly fathers also make the handoff. You see, that government needs to be established. Hudson, who's 12 and a half, knows Jesus. He understands Jesus, but he's not firmly set in that government yet. He's still learning to animate it in his life. And there's a season of preparation for him where he is ready. It's my job working with Hudson, with Leslie, and with my God to know when to make that official handoff. And even then, I'm still in his life. I'm still a lowercase f. It's not like I disappear. It's just that I have a different role. I don't have a command role over his life. I have a point of wisdom and counsel for him to help him where he will submit. And hopefully if I'm raising him well, he'll want that out of my life. We may be lowercase f fathers. Nonetheless, we do have an extraordinary role to play. So in the semester, just I think it was last week, I taught about the invisible hand. So this is an invisible hand. I know it, you can see it, which sort of blows my illustration. But if it was invisible and I would say, there's a hand and it's invisible, that wouldn't help you either. So you need to, this is an invisible hand and you can't see it. So when it points at you, you're not seeing it. When it waves at you, you're not seeing it. However, when you stick a glove over this hand that is visible, now suddenly when it points, you can see it. Not because the glove has any power in and of itself to point, but but the glove is submitted to the hand. And as a result, it reveals the invisible movements. And this is a picture that I was giving to the students this past week of how grace works, how the power of God works in a life submitted. So when you think of the invisible hand, I want you to think capital F Father. No one has seen the Father. He's invisible. He's 
He's spirit. So no one has ever seen the Father, but the scriptures actually say that he's been seen. Well, how was he seen? Remember the work club. Think lowercase f father. You see, Jesus came in and showed the perfect model. He became a work glove. And he yielded himself perfectly to the invisible hand. And then, when everyone's saying, hey, show me the invisible hand, he says, everything you see me doing right now is what the invisible hand is doing. I'm showing you the invisible hand by doing what he asked me to do. And so Jesus made visible that which otherwise would be invisible. I actually just described Christianity for you, not just Jesus. You see, just as Jesus revealed the Father, we reveal Jesus Christ. We submit to him as the invisible hand in us, Christ in us. And in so doing, as we yield to his word in text, his person, and his action, the word of God enters into us via the Holy Spirit. And as a result, this becomes an animation of him. So when the world sees us, who do they see? They see Jesus. And when they see Jesus, who do they see? The Father. You see, the way that God intended for this world to see the capital F Father is in and through Jesus coming and dying, giving his very life, us humbling ourselves, repenting and believing in him, and then yielding our bodies unto him and allowing his very life to enter into us, just as the Holy Spirit and the Father worked in and through Jesus. Now the world can now see the invisible attributes of God in and through our lives. So the law of the invisible hand, the invisible hand or the capital F father is revealed only through a work glove. See, it's amazing. There's a work glove on that hand. You can't see the hand, but when the work glove rests upon it, it becomes invisible. And who do you see? You see the hand. So that which was invisible is now made visible, but it's still invisible, but it's made visible by the yieldedness, the humble obedience of a glove. No one has seen God at any time. See, I didn't come up with that. That's what it says. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son, the work love, who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him, which means he has revealed God to us. He has made him known. He has explained him. What does Jesus say? He that hath seen me has seen the father. Could you say that? He that has seen me has seen the work of Jesus Christ. Eh, a little awkward. You see, we're small, lowercase, workers, Jesus went from being a capital God to taking on a lowercase position and submitting himself to the capital. And in so doing, he modeled for us. He showed us the pattern of how to bring the kingdom of heaven to this earth. Yeah, he did it perfectly. He's God. However, though we are imperfect models of Jesus Christ, he has set a pattern for us. And he says, repent. Repent of your ridiculousness, trying to control your own work glove. You can't do anything as a work glove outside of the hand. Could you imagine? Just watch a work glove. Watch what it what does when I drop it. No, go do something amazing. <laughs> go pull a weed. <laughs> uh, go wave at the mailman. <laughs> you can't do anything in and of itself. And that's actually what God says. You see, you as a work glove can do nothing that would showcase the actions of the invisible hand. Nothing without the invisible hand. You see, you were built in the image of the invisible hand to rest perfectly upon him. So you need to submit from your self-centeredness of saying, I can do this on my own and say, God, I can't do it on my own. An earthly father is just going to stink it up as long as he tries to do it on his own. But if he yields to the only one who can do it, the world changes. Jesus became a work glove. It's rather stunning. And he functioned perfectly the way a work glove ought to function. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Uh, that's a strange statement, Jesus, because you're God. 
You can do whatever you want. No, he became a work glove. You see, God humbled himself and took on the form of a work glove so that he could do something for us that we could not do for ourselves. The son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatsoever things he does, these also does the son likewise. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. I do nothing of myself, says Jesus, but as my father has taught me, I speak these things. Now each of these, imagine as a parent, thinking these exact thoughts. I can't parent on my own. Whoever taught you that you could be a great parent just by going to a parenting class? Whoever taught you that you could be a great parent just by reading the right books? We have all sorts of classes and tutorials and things like that. The only way to do what you are called to do as a parent, to reveal the capital F or the capital, I don't want to say M because that could get me in trouble if I started calling God the capital mother. Uh, There's a whole bunch of Bibles and things like that floating around with that terminology already. The capital parent, P, parent. In other words, he's the ultimate model of it. How is the world going to see it? You can't just get that in a class. You get that from God. He has to take what belongs to him, which is your lowercase life, and he wants to bring his capital life into it. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. This is God himself saying that he only did what the Father was asking him to do. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me, he does the works. I just gave you the secret to how it all works, not just parenting, but Christianity. Do you want to be a godly father? Some of the girls in here are like, I'm not sure how to answer that. I know where you're going with this, Eric, but how does this relate to me? Every single one of us has access to this message. Just because you're not a father doesn't mean you do not have something that is capital that is meant to be expressed in and through your life. And ironically, it's Jesus that wants to showcase himself through you. And when the world sees you, even though you're a woman, I know this is going to sound strange for a second, even though you're a woman, when they see Jesus in and through your life, who are they seeing? They're seeing the father. It's still a truth. And so as a result, all of us are meant to be bearers of the capital F, Father. Every one of us. So if you want to be a godly father, this really helps if you are a father or aspiring to be one, then submit to the capital F father as if you were a work glove and show this world that amazing behavior, that, this world that amazing behavior that is otherwise invisible. When the hand points, you point. When the hand grips, you grip. When the hand waves, you wave. Be in perfect harmony with the movements of the hand. And in so doing, though you are merely a lowercase f father, you will reveal the capital F father in and through your life. For each one of us, as far as practical outflow of this, there is a need for every single one of us to recognize that we have a propensity to seek a capital role in our life. And we want to control circumstances. We want to control relationships. And there is no relationships probably more prone to that than the relationships that most reveal the kingdom of heaven. I want you to give you a little illustration. Marriage. The control elements of marriage are off the charts, okay? I mean, it's just, uh, I'm not going to go into that, but it is. Two, family. 
Family control. I want you to be doing this, son. I've worked hard for you. I've made this special for you. The manipulation that can take place inside of a home. When we attempt to be a capital, instead of leading them to Jesus, it creates all sorts of problems. And brace yourselves for this one, the church of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, one of the most controlling environments, unfortunately, on earth. We're prone. As leaders, we're prone to want it our way. We're prone to want to make you like us instead of lead you to someone greater than us. Hey, all of us are susceptible. And as a result, we need to recognize first our lowercase position. We're not all that. He is. And if we want to be great in marriage, we need to let his capital marriageability, his bridegroomness, to flow through us. We need to do as he would do. And he usually wouldn't speak what we would speak. He would usually be quiet when we would get noisy. And he wouldn't slam the door and he wouldn't, you could follow through on that however you would want. And in parenting, since we're talking about fatherhood today, if we try and father in our own lowercase f strength, we exasperate our children and we harm them though we mean well, and though we're giving it our best shot. There's only one way to lead children in the right way, and that's to lead them to the only one who can give them life. And though it is hard to turn over our kids unto the greater one, it really isn't that hard. John the Baptist rejoiced. His purpose was fulfilled. I've had, my kids have all sort of expressed to me different desires they have, uh, Dub wants to be a missionary in North Korea. Whoa, uh, buddy, North Korea. You know, you won't live long there. Sure don't look very Korean. Uh, and here I have a Korean. Harper's Korean. It's like makes more sense for Harper to go to North Korea. I remember, uh, you know, Hudson saying he wanted to be a missionary in Cambodia. It's like, boy, couldn't you pick a place closer to home that is less intense and uh, close to the gospel. I mean, why don't we just pick? This is how a parent naturally reasons. But then there's another side to Eric that says, there's lost people there. It's hard territory. I want to build you for the hardest territory on earth. Because I'm thinking like my father in heaven, who isn't just trying to spare his son from sacrifice, from dying, but it pleased him to bruise his son. Well, that's a strange statement. We have a tough time with that one, don't we? And yet God knew what was ahead. He knew. He saw this. He knew that in the giving up, the sacrifice of his son, he would gain something even greater. And so we must recognize as well, it's hard, but there is a dear, deep pleasure in allowing the capital F to rule our parenting. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.